Welcome to Searching the Sacred. I'm Jason Steffenhagen. I'm Steph Spencer. And I'm Lisa Adams. We are hosting conversations about scripture for the curious, doubters, and hope seekers. We're inviting people to ask different questions, questions asked by those who have been wounded and hurt, questions asked by those who have deconstructed and are looking for a reconstruction. We're creating space for love, kindness, justice, and curiosity. We will wrestle, we will question, we will dance, we will dream, we will wonder, we will be frustrated, and we will hope. We aren't searching for singular answers or solutions. We are searching the sacred. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Searching the Sacred. Jason, Steph, and Lisa with you, and we are excited to be diving into more conversation around the women of the Hebrew scriptures, and we are specifically staying away from the Torah, the first five books, because 40 Orchards has a roots program that is called Daughters of the Torah, and if you are interested in that, you should go to the 40 Orchards website, 40, that's 40orchards.org, and check that out and sign up for a roots, and you can dive into more stories and more dynamic conversation around the women and the daughters of the Torah. But for our purposes in this season of Searching the Sacred, we are looking at women outside of the Torah, but yet in the Hebrew scriptures, not the New Testament. And so today we are going to look at McCall or Michael, and her story is introduced slightly in chapter 14 of Second First Samuel, but we are going to be picking up her story as it gets underway in chapter 18. So Lisa's going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 18. So I'm going to read verses 20 through 29 um, out of the um, NRSV translation. Now Saul's daughter, Michal, loved David. Saul was told, and that thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, see, the king is delighted with you and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants reported these words to David in private. And David said, does it seem to you a little thing to become a king's son-in-law, seeing that I am a poor man and of no repute? The servants of Saul told him, this is what David said. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, the king desires no marriage present except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged on the king's enemies. Now Saul planned to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. When his servants told David these words, David was well pleased to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David rose and went, along with his men, and killed one hundred of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. Saul gave him his daughter, Michal, as a wife. But when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that Saul's daughter, Michal, loved him, Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy from that time forward. All right, here we go. Wow. Jason was just shaking his head in response to that. A lot of stuff happened. I mean, I, I think we should have given a warning that like this might not be suitable to be listening into the car with young children. Because A, it's violent, and B, they're going to have a lot of anatomy questions that might make you uncomfortable 
at eight in the morning on the way to school. <laughs> so that's just the first thing that popped into my mind. I mean, I also don't know that we're a kid-friendly podcast in general. <laughs> no, I mean, we're a pretty boring podcast for a kid, but I could see a parent putting it on and like knowing that their kid's just going to like zone out in the back seat with their own thing, you know, and they might overhear some of this. But also, it wasn't like I actually said what the thing was. So, it's, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't like at a certain level, they're not going <laughs> to. I guess it depends. Yes. What kind of conversations you're having with your children about their genitalia. So, yes. we are off to an awesome start. <laughs> uh, everybody should know that we are recording as we on a Monday morning. So, this is a lot for a Monday morning. <laughs> Well, um, like even in reading it, I, I noticed that there are these things where I was like, wait, I had to pause because there's like there's this really graphic language that's happening. Like there's this actually the super violent like, OK, I, like I can't the the visuals are a lot. And there's also this weird like there's a lot of like and they said and then he said and he said, tell him and they said, tell them and to, like there's. It's like a game of like, what did somebody actually whisper in your ear? What do you, right. you telephone? Well, and I love that word game because I feel like that passage we read really helps us see the game of kingship and that in the Bible, it's not all that different from whatever series you have binged on Netflix about kings and kingdoms and power and that people are playing the game. So the game that's being played in 1 Samuel 18 really started in 1 Samuel 16 because in 1 Samuel 16, Saul lost the kingship. Samuel went and anointed David to be the future king. But then we all that there's a back and forth happening where then Saul is disturbed like it seems like he has some sort of bipolar condition the way it's written in the bible or like some legitimate mental health something going on where he needs a a musician to calm him and david becomes the musician in his house and there's this like back and forth but then in first samuel 17 goliath comes and threatens all the people and goliath is a philistine and as the battle is happening with Goliath, David was at home tending sheep when that started, but he's the one who goes out and fights Goliath. And before David got there, Saul promised his daughter in marriage to whoever beat Goliath. And so at the end of that chapter, David is the one who beats Goliath. And so in order for Saul to maintain his word, he has to give a daughter in marriage to David. But because David was able to kill Goliath and David had already been anointed as future king, it's a little uncertain whether Saul knew that at this point. He's actually threatened by David and doesn't really want to give his daughter in marriage to someone like David. And so in verse 19, his daughter Merib, who I think it is probably his firstborn, should have been given to David, it says, but had it been given to somebody else in marriage. So it seems like Saul wasn't going to do it at all until he finds out that his daughter, Michal, loves David. And so he's like, oh, maybe I can use my daughter's love for this guy as a way to trap him and get him out of my hair. That is how we meet Michal. And just for the sake of explanation or being obvious the marriage between david and mccall does not equal 
David being the rightful heir to the throne because McCall is not the next in line to be queen. That would go to the first male, but it does strengthen David's potential claim on the throne to be married into the royal lineage. And so being able to say, well, the prophet anointed me, I defeated Goliath, and I married the king's daughter, all of this means I should be the king, which would be threatening not only to Saul, but to what Saul is imagining as his lineage carrying on generation after generation. And in general, what Saul seems threatened by in David is how much people love David. And so if this increases his fame in some way, that's a particular threat. So he gives him, so this idea of, I don't need a dowry, I just need um, this violence against the Philistines. It says in here, what he's really hoping is that David then dies in battle. He doesn't think it's going to work out for David, and then it does. And meanwhile, we have his actual daughter who actually loves this man, who's a pawn in the game of kingship and power. And David, okay, because I'll, like, David, she's not his only wife. Like, he's got dozens. Like, this is not, like, David But she is his first. Yes, but David also ends up playing a game. As, yep, for sure. But, They're both going to play a game, but this is the beginning. That's part, part of the power. That's how power keeps happening is that when you don't have it, it's one thing. And then when you get it, what you do with it is what really mm-hmm. matters. Anyway, just just noting that, I mean... I mean, I think as we, if we, if we're, if we're going to study this passage, but it's not, we talked about like telling McCall's story a little bit and that's going to show David playing the game too, I think, as it goes forward in time of like kings play a game of power and around them are daughters and wives who are caught as pawns in the game of power. It's what we see throughout. I mean, it's the reason that Ahab marries Jezebel way later in the story in first Kings. Um, like 16, somewhere in that range, um, is because Jezebel is a Phoenician princess and Ahab wants to have an alliance with Phoenicia because of the way it will strengthen his kingdom. It's not because he loves Jezebel. Marriages are about alliances and power and women are given away between their fathers and somebody else in power in order to strengthen or weaken kingdoms. But McCall is an interesting one here because she loves David. So there's something, even as the as as Saul is using this as a power play, she seems to want to marry this person, which is actually rather unique. I think, Lisa, did you say that it's the only time in scripture that we see a woman loving a man. I think where it's stated that she like McCall loves David as a female to a male. It's so interesting because like we don't talk about relationships in a modern context without the word love. And yet here in the Hebrew scriptures, we have relationship after relationship after relationship and love is rarely if ever used 
to describe it. And then the one instance that it is, it's a really messed up, jacked up, you know, um, abusive, really, you know, I mean, it's a dad just using his daughter to manipulate his enemy and then and using her love again for his own purposes and and it's just it's just tragic well there's also the complexity of like david and jonathan because that relationship is happening just a little bit before this like the beginning of 18 right this expression like it's very interesting i mean a lot of people love david but like where does where is david actually reciprocating Mm-hmm. or not reciprocating yeah back in first samuel 18 verse 1 it says that the soul of jonathan was knit with the soul of david and jonathan loved him as his own soul um and so that dynamics also there in saul's household one of the ways to read that I mean, or to read some of this is like to think about how the story could have gone differently. So there is a way of reading the fact that Jonathan loved David and McCall loved David as a way of saying the real problem that existed was in Saul, because basically God picked David as the continuation, like the the kingship is ending. Um, it's not going to be through Saul's line anymore. It's going to be through David's line. But it never says that Saul's going to be killed or lose his kingship early. And David even says to his men, like, we're going to, like, I take power after Saul mm-hmm. is done having power. Yep. The person who would normally get power is Jonathan. And it seems as though Jonathan and McCall, the next generation, all love David and seem perfectly fine with him being king. And so there is some of the way to read that love is to say this all could have gone differently. It didn't have to be the violent game. It actually could have been a peaceful transition of power if Saul and David could have resisted the violence. Which they don't. Right. That's one way to read it. That's not the only way to read it. It's also, I mean, David could just be really magnetic and charming and win lots of people over and... You know, we see that vibe in him as well. I think McCall's name is really interesting um, because there's a couple ways ways to read its meaning. So it's it's um, my there's a couple. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a little bit of a thing here. So um, there's a few different scripture definition sources. Um, one is called Brown Driver Briggs, and another is Strong's. Um, Brown Driver Briggs actually defines McCall as meaning who is like God, whereas Strong's defines it as a a river or a stream. And the reason that divergence is happening is because it depends how you root her name. And I, when those questions come up for me, I like to interpret it as, as possibly rooted in multiple places or carrying a multiplicity of meanings. So, One possibility for how to root McCall is that it comes from uh, uh, Mikal is a brook or a stream. 
So that's where it's coming in Strong's. Um, and it's spelled the same way. And the verb at the root there is yakol, which is uh, to prevail or over- overcome or endure or have power. So it's so the idea of a stream having power is that it like makes it it prevails, it makes its way through difficult circumstances and like flows. But that verb yakol is the verb used for Jacob when he's wrestling with the man angel God and he prevails or he doesn't let the other guy prevail. Yakol is a key verb there. So potentially that verb is at the root of McCall's name if you interpret her name as stream. But the idea of who is like God is actually then rooting her name as connected to the prophet Micah's name. So Micah is so spelled with the same first three letters. So um, Mem, Yud, Kaf, um, where that is then uh, rooted in this idea of uh, who, me, and then L, God. So who is like God? And so it's then with McCall saying that, like with that L at the end, it's the same idea. Um, so potentially the reason I wanted to do all that nerdy Hebrew is because it's a powerful name either way. Mm-hmm. She either carries the name of a prophet who in the midst of this power game is saying, who is like God? And a prophet with the name who is like God is tends to be the prophet saying God's actually the one in power here. Or her name is about overcoming hard things. And either way, that feels like a powerful name in this circumstance in the middle of the power grabs of the kings. Hmm. Questions, comments, thoughts about that in McCall's name? I think there's a difference between hearing overcome or endures hard things. Hmm. How I hear that and when I think of her story. It it doesn't change her. It changes um, my perception of her, perhaps. Mm. Well, yeah, maybe that's where with the Yakol, the idea of it being to prevail or be able or to overcome connecting to the wrestling does have a little bit more of an empowered energy to it versus just an enduring energy. Sorry, you were going to say something, Jason? I just wanted, I was just going to say, say more about that. Like... <laughs> Because I don't think we, and also maybe it would be helpful to, to give people more of her story, like summarize what comes in the next few chapters or in the next bit of the story. Because I, right now we just have this like kind of immediate snapshot of how she came to marry David, but we don't see the tragedy of her life yet and why that overcoming name is so powerful or that persevering could be yeah so maybe give us a little bit more of of who she is well i think even just to root her in her own story like before the david stuff feels like that noticing um like how like how does she know does she know david through her brother jonathan like does she know how jonathan feels about david does she know about their covenant that's already like that's transpired is this like is it complicated does she have a complicated love already like the love for david is also complicated just by knowing all the dynamics that are at play does she know how her dad feels um Hmm. does she see this as like a rebellious choice of like choosing david when 
dad might not be happy about this or is it um or is this just she's just love like she just fell in love with this guy it wasn't like there's i just the complexities of her humanness kind of get lost because she gets handed off Mm -hmm. and so we don't we don't see like her part of the bargain but to think about like your dad being the king and it's Saul. And in some ways he's great at like, he is actually great in the beginning. Like Saul gets some pretty big praise and he gets described really, really interestingly in his initial, like there's this, like, mm-hmm. did she witness the changing of her dad? Did, like, did she have like this great experience with dad? And then suddenly dad started having, whether it was like an onset of a, of a mental illness that meant that she had like this new dad that she was navigating and trying to figure out all kinds of things or was it like his fears and the power and like everybody's coming for you kind of like I just like when I think about her like story like is David an exit strategy <laughs> like, like get me out of this house um or but I also like I think I I actually I think I make her much more tender and I'm like oh she just loves David and so she like, it, and it's not necessarily what happens, but I just, the fact that it, that this is such a rare occurrence in the Bible and that we are noting that she loves David just feels like tender. Yeah. Like, don't take that. Yeah. Like, let's not take that away from her. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I think that's where we get to give ourselves permission to practice Midrash. So if, if we grew up in certain traditions of like there's ways to hold the Bible of like, there's a right and a wrong way to interpret everything. And like, you better not stray from that right way or you're in hell. <laughs> like there's a, and that really is in some of us, but the idea of Midrash says that anything unwritten in scripture gives us room to play and gives us room to wonder and gives us room to write some of our own stories of these people and to write them differently at different seasons of our life, but that that space is there on purpose. So to say, what if one of the ways to honor McCall is to wonder about possibilities of her story, to write her story, to say, okay, what if she was this tender woman who really loved David? What if she was a rebellious teenager who wanted to stick it to her dad? What if she was both and more, you know, like how, how does that then make her a full human? Who's having an actual human experience and not just a name that we overlook? Yeah. I th- I see both that tenderness and that tenacity. I think in First Samuel nineteen, so a little bit f- just to the next chapter, um, McCall is going to be a key part of saving David's life. So there's there's I think a I think the more famous story of saving David's life gets attributed to Jonathan. <laughs> where like there's this whole like thing of meet me in the field and I'll shoot the arrow and like there's this thing that happens there but McCall also in this same sort of time frame Saul sends messengers this is first Samuel 19 um 11 and following um Saul sends messengers to David's house to watch him in order to kill him in the morning and McCall finds out about it and tells David um and is going and it saves his life. So McCall lets David down through a window so that he can escape. And she takes an image and she lays it in the bed um, with with a pillow of goats. This is like Ferris Bueller's day off, putting a mannequin in the bed. 
Like that's what she does. She puts an image and goat hair in the bed. So it looks like David's still in bed. And then the messengers come in and try to kill him, but he's not there. Um, And then Saul gets mad at McCall because he knows that it had to have been her that did this. And says like, why have you deceived me? Um, And so she puts herself in harm's way with her dad in order to save David by doing this pretty bold move of putting putting a mannequin in the bed, essentially, in an ancient form. So that feels like tenacious love to me of something like he, she's really standing up for something there. Well, she either trusts that her dad loves her and isn't going to kill her when he finds out, or she loves David so much that she doesn't care if her dad finds out. Like she's mm. willing to risk being found out. Cause I don't know that you get to like deceive the King without some ramifications. It feels like there's, <laughs> that's a choice. Mm-hmm. what if we go i mean if we think about the roman empire which is generations forward in time from this how many people how many rulers killed their children for acts of rebellion mm-hmm. right like that's not it's not uncommon for a king to kill a child who's rebelling against the king and so she is probably putting herself in harm's way here well, in the, in the in verse 17, it says, and Saul said to McCall, why have you deceived me like this and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And McCall answered Saul. He said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? So now, unless my translation is not accurate, it sounds like she's playing a game here, right? Like, I'm going to save your life, David. You need to get out of here. I'm going to cover for you. I'm going to put this thing in the bed, put some goat hair on it, make it look like you're sick. And then when they come in here, they're going to discover it. And then I'm going to tell my dad that you threatened to kill me and and then that's why i had to let you go because it was it was like my life or i do this elaborate hoax that you're making me do um and so i mean she's definitely playing the game here and finding i mean yeah maybe she did feel threatened by saul maybe she did think my dad's if i side with david my dad's taking me out like and so i gotta i gotta be the victim of something in order for my dad to have some sympathy and empathy towards me um, and so she, she, she lies to him and says that David threatened her. And so, you know, David gets away, um, and, and the story moves along and she's, she's still with us. I like seeing her as someone who's playing the game alongside the men. I feel like that's an empowering view. That's important that we don't always give women the credit for and and i and i think that gets back to what you guys both said earlier about let's let this person be complex and not simple because there is a reading of this where she's a pawn in a man's game that she is she is just this daughter that Saul's going to use to entrap his enemy and then he's going to try to use her later on and then david's going to use her later on or throw her away and then you know it's just going to like she's just a pawn and and maybe she is tenderhearted and maybe she just is smitten by this really charming, you know, guitar playing, long haired, strong, muscular warrior guy who kills Goliath. You know, maybe she is just in love with the with David, you know, who seems to be her her family's person. Right. And and maybe that is what it starts out as. But as most of us like 
when life hits us and we get wrapped up in all the complexity of it and we come more aware of it, we get savvy over time. And we, we realize, man, if I, if I don't wise up, like I'm going to get trampled on. And so I, I wonder if like we're seeing the evolution of, of McCall being going from a tenderhearted, you know, young person in love to being someone who's like, okay, I'm playing this now. Like, you know, if you're coming after my guy, I'm going to protect him, you know? And, um, I don't know. I just think it's kind of cool to see her in a way growing, um, in this chaotic, ridiculous environment that she finds herself in. Well, that word savvy, we've talked about this in the podcast with Rebecca of like, it's one of the things to look for in when you're, when we're reading scripture and we're seeing the people who have less power, how are they being savvy with the power they have, which can involve manipulation. It can involve lying. It can involve lots of things that are actually like needed when that's all you have available to you. And we can, we can praise them for some of their actions and at the same time, noticing the gray areas of morality that happen when you have less power and how you can, how you find your way in that. Hey everyone, this is Jason. We're about the halfway point of this episode. And if you are not a patron of this podcast, I want to invite you to join Patreon and type searching the sacred. And for a dollar a month or more, you can become a patron of this podcast and get access to the afterthoughts. The afterthoughts are Steph, Lisa, and myself providing a little afterthought after the episode. And we want to invite you to share your afterthought as well in the comments. It'd be a great place where we can hear from one another as we continue to wrestle and journey with these wonderful stories that we read in scripture. So Saul doesn't kill McCall, but what he does do is the next time we see her after this interaction in 1 Samuel 19, where she saves David's life, is in 1 Samuel 25, verse 44, which is when Saul gives McCall, David's, his daughter, David's wife, to faulty son of Laish in marriage. So David has had to go on the run from Saul, or at Maybe had to is he he ends up going on the run <laughs> with his men to protect his own life. He leaves McCall behind when he goes on the run, and when McCall is left behind <laughs> while David is on the run, Saul marries McCall to somebody else. Okay. How far is he fast? Like what? How running when he's marrying wives? <laughs> like because he marries two wives right before. <laughs> Well, because right in the same chapter in 1 Samuel 25 is when David takes Abigail as a wife. So as he leaves and is on the run, David is taking wives. Uh, McCall was his first wife. Now he's taking more wives. Mm -hmm. And David or Saul is giving McCall away to somebody else. It's probably just a rabbit trail. But it's worth noting, I think. (laughs) This is where like I get the text leaves her out. It's not just David. I mean, David obviously does not return to her, does not make arrangements for her, does not David's taking care of David's stuff. Whatever that looks like. I don't know how in fear of his life he is if he's able to make relationships, marriages, 
whatnot. And it could be to save his life. I, uh, whatever. I'll, okay. And like the text forgets her. So like the next time we hear about her is like, oh, dad's going to like give you off to another person. Mm. And that's disappointing. Like that just feels disappointing. Cause I know that she's got a storyline in here somewhere. Like that time frame where David's gone. This man that she loves, her husband, that feels. The man that, the man that she saved. That, right. That she risked all the things for. Like, I think it's that hard spot of like when you do something that feels like the right thing, like feel like you're so you're passionate about it. It feels like it's the right thing. And then like you're forgotten or it feels then it turns out to be insignificant to the person that you thought it would matter to or you really had hopes that this would change a trajectory of sorts. Like that sucks. Like it sucks to be in that spot of like how long did she think about like the choice and the decision did she regret the decision did she was she angry was she hurt well because it's also the assumption like I, I I changed my phrasing lifetime as I was saying it about like David had to run away because what if he didn't like, what if there was another way or, or what if he could have brought McCall with him? Or what if, what if there could have been another story besides abandonment? But he can't see it. Well, and him and Jonathan have a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a whole, whole goodbye time. in chapter 20. Yeah, like, there's, there's space for that. Which maybe all along, David married the wrong sibling. Like, there's, yeah, yep. No, there, there are, there are some theologians and biblical scholars who would say this relationship between David and Jonathan feels romantic and seems romantic, and so there is a legitimate question there of did David actually want to marry Jonathan, and is that a part of why it's complicated with McCall? Well, and the the text seems to value that relationship more than Mm -hmm. the other one. You know, if if we're just going off of which relationship do we learn more about the importance of and the intimacy of and the the nature of, it's 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 that one. I mean, we don't even get stories of, you know, David and McCall you know, consummating their marriage, being intimate. We don't get anything about efforts towards bearing children. I mean, we're going to later find out that she doesn't bear any children, but it's like a throwaway line at the end of the story. I mean, it's not a throwaway line, of course, but it's just kind of like a, oh, and by the way, she didn't have any children, but we don't get any of the narrative. I mean, when we talk about any of the other patriarchs, we hear all about their efforts towards having children and and prolonging their their lineage and we don't get any of that with with David and McCall we just you know she saves his life he doesn't say thank you and then he runs away 
but we have this dramatic goodbye with Jonathan, this, in, you know, this very close. Wait, where they're both crying and yeah, totally. taking off cloths and like just. Cloths. Cloths, <laughs> yes. Well, I couldn't yes. remember exactly. They're, they're taking you, things off. They're you crying. are definitely reading from the King James. <laughs> when, they, when thus they removed their cloths and hugged each other with tears streaming down thine faces. Dear Lord. I mean, this is that, okay, it's, this, for me, this is that, you know, you got to kind of, like, you got to do, like, this check-in coming from, like, a very, uh, what I grew up in and what I was raised and taught about the story uh, versus, like, when you read it, just, if you just read it, and you also, like, kind of, like, try to pull off any type of, um, I don't, like, there's this thing that happens like somehow why are we okay we're we're okay with the fact that mccall was like given away and given away to another husband and david has multiple wives everything like we're like oh yeah that's just what they did but like suddenly the idea that david has an intimate relationship with jonathan is like whoa whoa whoa, whoa. we can't listen <laughs> of course why not of course like that this is the story of humankind and again the patriarchy is <laughs> is just as much power struggling against people's sexuality and who they are and all the things that it needs to keep in line, especially when we're talking about that emphasis on having children and having a lineage and all the things that like become the focus. Well, yeah. And I, for me personally, when I read that, I can't unsee the relationship that Jonathan and David have. And the time frame that they lived in, of course, that was deadly. It's no well, more deadly in lots of bases today. And I think this is an important part of the conversation because in a podcast about McCall, these relationships are happening simultaneously. It's not David and Jonathan were connected for a while and then David moved to this city and met McCall and then they fell in love, but their relationship for whatever reason we don't hear much about and then david did like no like this is all happening in the same vicinity in the same family while their dad is spiraling into whatever type of mental illness or anxiety fear that's driving him to this this place of you know wanting to harm david and and you know and and all of that's happening and so of course we're going to hold that together we have to we can't separate we shouldn't and that's what makes mccall's story so tragic is that she loved david and then we get nothing we get no story of what that love for her really meant except saving his life and and that's it i i do want to encourage our listeners to grab a bible and read first samuel 20 as a way to hear David and Jonathan's story after this podcast, go grab it and read it with fresh eyes and wonder about the depth of this relationship and just allow, just allow yourself to wonder about it. Yes. It could have been just a deep friendship and that's not nothing if it was. And if it's written about in the Bible and the language feels like more. And I think it's worth just reading those and making sure we have eyes to see them. Right. And for today's purpose, for, with thinking about McCall, to really just 
allow ourselves to see how complicated that would have been from a call. As as you're saying, Jason, this is simul. Anytime David is in town to be in a relationship with McCall, that's when he's also in a relationship with David. Like it is completely simultaneous. And when he leaves town, he leaves both. Um, and so they are, they kind of have each other and their love for David when he's gone. And then they're sharing David while he's there. And, and what is that like for both Jonathan and McCall? Ugh. That looked like you're thinking something in response to that, Lisa. Just, uh, like, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many people have experienced that. I Like, I imagine a lot of people have experienced, like, somebody cheating on you. Like, whether it was in a dating relationship or in a marriage or, like, the complex emotions of all of it. <laughs> whether it's still, like, loving a person even though you're super hurt and when it's like why the wanting to know why and try to understand things. And I feel like the Bible like doesn't give us enough to like understand any of the why, like we still are guessing at motivations for all of it. Cause nothing's like crystal clear. So there's actually like all this room to enter into whatever personal stories you have and hold with this kind of like complex relationships, like gendering aside the complex relationships of loving someone and then hurting each other and trying to like live within that. And that's just hard. And I can't like, anyway, there's just, there's a, there's like, <laughs> it just brings up some personal memories of things that have happened uh, that I don't know is podcast worthy, but I'll have coffee and talk about it if anybody wants to. <laughs> well, and it's that, like you said, Lisa, it's that idea of like, like loving someone that might not be able to love you back. Mm -hmm. And that's like a human, that's a human story. And, and I mean, I, I think that's where like our heart kind of breaks from a call who just seems like she's just trapped. And not only is she trapped in this relational dynamic, that's complex and challenging, but then you layer on top of it, this, like she's property. And she's being used as manipulation for the Game of Thrones, right? And and that just adds a whole nother layer to this, where once she's of no use to Saul for this one, you know, plot point, she's going to be used for another one and just shipped off to the next alliance or the next person to appease. and man how because i because i think this this does two things for me it, it it does the that personal stuff of like what does it mean to be in complex relationships where we're just where we either get cheated on or we get hurt or it's just like we love someone that can't love us back and like there's a lot of really intrapersonal interpersonal stuff that happens there but then there's this kind of meta or this larger systemic conversation of how are how are we today using people for our own means or our own ends because my mind gravitates towards the political realm because we don't have kings and kingdoms as much anymore but we have politicians who when they're running for office will suddenly champion uh like this person and their story and bring them to the event and talk about them and like but then what happens to that person later on like they they got used 
for someone else's gain. And then what? Like, are they discarded? Are we, you know, and, and usually it's not the person that's like super well off and is going to send their kid to like a really great college because they can afford paying it out of pocket. It's usually they're championing someone who like is barely making ends meet, had something horrific happen in their life and is really going through a hard time that the systems of our world are actually not set up to benefit. And yet the politician is using that person to say, we need to change the system. But then are we actually changing the system? Are we actually doing anything about it? Or did we just use that person to get us where we want to go, to get our political party where it needs to go, to get this person in power? And then we discard that individual as if they didn't even exist. And we're not actually going to do the change needed to make their life better. So I feel like there's a, and I, I don't mean to take it away from McCall, the intimacy of her story, but I also think there's something about connecting it to our modern day experiences that we, we actually do see this still playing out in our world today. Well, and I actually think that connects into perfectly into the next part of McCall's story of this idea of being used and discarded and used and discarded because we see Saul marry her to someone else and then she disappears from the narrative again. And so again, that seems like a used by Saul and discarded. And now when we get to 2 Samuel chapter 3, Saul has died and David is taking the throne. As a part of taking the throne, we see McCall pop forward again in the narrative because Abner and David are talking about kind of what's needed. And he says, I, David says to Abner, I will, I will make a agreement with you, but one thing I require um, you'll only see my face except that you bring out McCall, Saul's daughter, and um, who I espoused to with the with the price of 100 foreskins. So he he doesn't say anything about the one who saved my life or who I was married to for a long time. It like goes back to like what he or did to who her. I love, who I love, like uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's absolutely a part of the power play of as I take the kingship, bring her out to me, show everybody that Saul's daughter is with me, it's mine. the one that I won with my 104 skins of the Philistines. And suddenly that story is coming back into play after we haven't heard about McCall for years. And somewhere like it's there's sort of a debatable. There's not a lot of dates given for how long um, David is running from Saul. But it's probably between 7 and 13 years, somewhere in that range, between 1 Samuel 16 and this these moments in early and 2 Samuel. And so it's been years. And in that story, like just the next couple of verses talks about her husband, like weeping behind her as like David is pulling her out of her life. Like whatever life she made. Right. Like she got David. married again and for, and she married, she's been married to that person for years and he pulls her from that household back into him. And, and that guy has feels like he's got strong feelings about this situation. <laughs> so like, I, yeah, like again, we don't hear their story. We don't hear what's happening there, but we do get this narrative of him weeping behind her, which doesn't seem like that's a normal behavior for like the patriarchy masculinity situation that's really happening in a lot of these stories yeah i'm glad you caught that lisa i can't think of another circumstance like that in scripture her husband went with her weeping behind her it's like baka it's weeping it's bewailing it's crying it's shedding tears it's like the word for when people are like in mourning of death and like boldly like ugly crying 
It's not just like I was sad. Like for a husband to do that, does there was something there between her and the second husband. And now David pulls her back in a power grab. Which we don't know how she feels about her second husband. We don't get any of their relationship other than Saul gave her to this man. And then she gets yanked from this man. We don't know anything about them. We do know that it doesn't seem like they had any kids, but like his emotion in that moment, it, it seems to indicate that he loved her, that he's so heartbroken by her being pulled away. And, and and if that's the case, like, there's just like a moment where I'm like, oh, I'm so glad someone loved her. Like, I don't know if she reciprocated that love. I don't know if she wanted to love that man. I don't know if she felt trapped in that marriage for all those years because it wasn't one that she chose. She chose David. She wanted David. And then she got this person instead because David left. But at least I, I just I'm I, I at least she was loved. Like at least someone cared enough to follow after her crying in her dust, you know, wishing that it wasn't happening. Um, and, and cause it, cause it feels a lot more like love than it does someone who liked the abusiveness of the relationship um, that they had power over it, it you know, like, um, and I, I hope she was loved after all that she went through with her father after all she went through with, with David, like, I hope she, I hope she experienced that in her life. And it's so, it's also just so ridiculous when I really think about like David had collected some wives during those seven to 13 years that he was gone. Like he doesn't need McCall. Even, even if you just think if you, even if it's just for like child rearing, whatever, like he has Abigail, he's got, I think he's got two wives I mean, it's all, it's all playing her. the game. It's all playing the game. He's, he's pulling in someone from the Royal family to solidify his claim to the throne to say, look, like I'm, I'm not the vengeful one. I'm not the, I'm, I'm gonna like, I have a legitimate claim. So if we got some of you tribes that don't quite think that I'm the right one to lead us, like, look at me, I'm, I'm part of Saul's lineage. Like, it's okay. We're going to make this work. Like, He's just circling the wagons, you know, like, and oh, and he protecting be- himself. <laughs> well, and clearly it's not, he didn't ask for Michal because he was like done. Like he wanted to just like hunker down with his wife that he had and was trying like in five verse 13 is when we get like a list of his, con- like the concubines and the wives. And like, it's at least 11. And that's not like, that's not <laughs> including the ones we've just mentioned, like he is just accumulating people, wives. Like, what does that say about as a like, part of him taking the throne and the anointing is when he just is as soon as that crown is his, even before it's his, it starts, but it, the accumulation begins even, even more earnestly. So that perhaps makes some sense of the end of McCall's story, just to kind of since we've been telling her story is, which is what happens. Well, the end of it, as we know it, which is in second Samuel six. So second Samuel six is a moderately famous tale. 
of the ark coming back to Jerusalem. And when the ark, so the ark had been in the possession of the Philistines for years, David goes and he gets it back. And when he gets it back, again, it's not disconnected from these other things that are part of him claiming the throne, which I think is when we read the story on its own, it could just look like David is excited to get the ark back. When we see it as a part of all of the ways that he is taking the throne, this feels perhaps like it's not quite as clean of a joy. Because as a part of one of his first moves as king, he gets the ark back. And he has that ark go on a parade through Jerusalem, and he leads that parade. I am the one who brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And in his joy, quote unquote joy, <laughs> of that day, he gets naked. This is verse 14. David danced before the Lord with all his might. And strength, and David was girded with a linen ephod. And so he is leading that parade, <laughs> leaping. And then verse 16, he's leaping and dancing before the Lord. And as McCall sees this out the window, she despises David in her heart. Mm-hmm. Why might McCall despise David in her heart for? the way he's leaping and dancing naked in front of the ark on a parade through Jerusalem. I mean, let's, why does he get naked? Like I, like he could be really joyful. He could be really excited about what he's doing, but like, why does he get naked? Like it does it, by the way, it might be that he's not all the way naked. It might be more like he's in his underwear, but he's not fully clothed. There's a whole thing going on there. It says he's girded what is with an ephod? a linen ephod. <laughs> what is an ephod? A priestly garment. Well, actually, this is also an ephod is a priestly garment. So he's like stripped and wearing a priestly garment in some weird combination that's hard to really get. Our, it's usually only worn by the high priest. Okay. And let's remember the fullness of the story that came before us. Saul's downward spiral came when he wasn't patient enough to wait for the priest to come and offer the sacrifice before the battle and decided to offer the sacrifice instead of waiting for the prophet or the priest to come. And that's when the 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 anointing of the Lord or the spirit of the Lord left Saul when Saul was taking on a role that he was never supposed to embody. And so part of what could be happening here is that Here's this man she fell in love with that was anointed to be king. And now the moment where he's got everything that he's supposed to have, he's making potentially the same mistake her father did. And she's like, are you serious? Did we not learn anything from what happened before? Like you are doing the same thing that my dad did. You are trying to be not just a king, but also a priest. And that is not your job. Verse 17, they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. That can seem like a good thing unless we actually understand what the law says, which is David's not the one who's supposed to do those things. The priest is supposed to do those things. And David's wearing the priestly ephod and David's offering sacrifices. Hmm. Okay, and how many times have we been taught this story and we don't learn any of the complexity of it, but we just hear that David is dancing before the Lord, which is why Christians should be able to dance. 
There's a worship song that like I'll be undignified. Like it's some worship song that's been going through my head. It's a David Crowder song. I used to when I was in the days of being a children's pastor, we sang it with the kids. I'll become even more undignified than this. Okay, but like okay, um, that's also our problem with like not letting David be who David is. This I like. The idea if that people haven't picked up on the fact that we're like a little bit anti David in this moment, then <laughs> welcome to searching the sacred. Well, but David's not well, David I is say, a, okay, hold on, a man I, after God's own heart, but a it's full the complexity. Human being the complex, I wouldn't say we're anti David, it's we're we're, right. we're pro complex David. He does some amazing and beautiful things, and he does some really terrible things. And we have to be able to hold both when we look at any scriptural character. 100%. Let me clarify. I am not anti-David. I am anti the David that I learned about all my life. I am anti that David. I'm anti the David that could make no mistake. I'm anti the David that is just simply a man after God's own heart, as if that is like justifies everything that happened in his life as like the most godly thing imaginable. I'm anti the David who is the personification of Israelite perfection as as if they didn't realize when they were writing this story that David was part of the downfall like like they obviously knew what they were writing this is prophetic text this isn't just history from the eyes of the winners this is a prophetic text written during a time of exile to show the people why they are in exile and why the lord wants them to be different this isn't meant to be the crowning achievement of Israel. This is supposed to be a warning to Israel. David is a warning. David isn't the most the best example of Israel. Okay, rant over. <laughs> well, and we can see like and maybe when we let him be complex, we can say maybe he didn't quite see what he was doing in this moment. He might have actually thought that he was just excited for the Lord because he does have a really close relationship with the Lord. Like he might've, he might've convinced himself that what he was doing was just joy about the ark coming back. But McCall calls him out because then he, in verse 20, David returns to bless his house. He's going to end this whole joy filled parade by blessing his household. And McCall comes out to meet him and calls him out. He's the king. And she is not afraid to confront him. And she's like, how glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the, like the shamelessness of uncovering yourself. And then David gets pissed <laughs> at McCall and says like, oh, it was before the Lord. Like, and then he's like, just defends himself and says like, I'll even be more vile than this. And, and then it ends. Yeah, go ahead. This is this is that space to where I feel like the Reverend Dr. Will Gaffney has taught me that when you read like the hand servant, maid servant, that you should also read womb slave. Like who mm. he's doing this in front of and who he's saying will hold him in honor. He's saying this to this woman who is that has no children of his. Like it feels like he is taunting and pointing to her in a way that feels really harsh like that is it is a double down on like who she is like she's saying like you are doing this in front of everybody and you're doing this what are you doing because he's i mean also we know he's been accumulating i mean the concubines like 
you cannot miss all the women that David is having sex with and owning to then see that he's still, he's now doing it in the streets Mm. out for everybody. Like there is some that, I mean, I used to just think, I don't know. I didn't really think too much of McCall, but I kind of thought, oh, that's kind of ballsy to call him out. Now I just think, well, yeah, you're going to call him out. Cause like, what, and what are you doing? Who are you? Well, and it's still really gutsy to do it. Yeah. Right. I mean, she, I mean, yeah. I'm actually surprised that she doesn't just say that and then she's killed. Like, you know, I mean, literally, I mean, if, if she, yeah. if she goes out to meet him as he's about to bless his household, that means that there are multiple people present. And before he can do the thing that the king is going to do, she interrupts it to be critical of him. And I was like, whoa, dang, like, how does she have a throat after this moment? Um, and, uh, in his responses, of course, like seemingly sarcasm and vile meanness and kind of just spits in her face a little bit, but yeah, there's a way of reading his response. If we were to have a different like mindset and we could totally read it as, you know, um, like I'm going to dance before the Lord, whether you like it or not. And like, because I'm dancing before the Lord, I can do whatever I want. And I think that's like part of this, this mantra that some of us have about David is that he just boldly loves the Lord. He's willing to just celebrate it no matter what happens. And like, we should all have that kind of, you know, chutzpah about us when it comes to loving God. Like we should be willing just to, just to do it any way that feels natural to us. And it's like, I don't think so. Right. Like, well, because David even says, like, you know, because the Lord chose me, like he right. chose me above the above Saul, above that household. Above, like there's this really weird centering of like, I'm chosen, mm-hmm. which also can feel like some of I mean, I think we've probably all have encountered people who have a position of like, I'm chosen. Therefore, I'm right. I make the rules. I get to decide. I, of course, like, we all justify kind of our decisions, right? We justify what we what decisions we've made. Because we're the hero of our own story. So maybe we give David a little bit of grace here, but. Yeah, not yet. Well, and there's a way to read. There's a way to read verse 23. So what McCall's story ends with this first, this verse of therefore McCall, the daughter of Saul had no child to the day of her death. That's how her story then ends at the end of chapter six. Mm-hmm. There's a way of reading that as, as being a consequence to her actions and reading it as the Lord's consequence. So if we read this as like David is elevated, like he he was not afraid to um, dance before the Lord, like we should be willing to dance before the Lord, that we can read that verse as so the Lord punished McCall for calling David out. We could mm-hmm. read it that way. We could also read it as David punished McCall for calling him out and refused to ever have sex with her again. And maybe she was grateful. After all that business, maybe she was like, excellent. I don't want to have sex with you anymore done and 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 maybe, maybe because it, what it doesn't what verse 25 doesn't say and i want to give the writers credit for saying this it does not have the word lord in it so other times we see the lord's hand as a part of fertility conversations which is complex for people who have wrestled with fertility for sure but it doesn't say anything about the lord closed her womb it just says she doesn't have children so we can, we get to have the space to say this is at, she doesn't have children because of david because he's pissed and doesn't forgive her and again, with all sensitivity in the world towards the complexity of people desiring to be parents and all of the 
challenges that come with it. Here's a woman who's been passed from one man to another and then demanded to be back. While she is now back with her original husband, he's accumulated multiple wives and concubines, seems to have no sense of sexual uh, intimacy in like a healthy way, but just seems to be whatever he wants, he gets. He's dancing in the streets and with no regard for how it may affect anyone else. And then he's trying to take credit as if it's like some glorious, worshipful behavior, as opposed to, you know, just exposing himself in the streets. And is that, and, and, and then he's the king, right? And if you're the king and you have children, those children are not just children. They're not just like chill kids growing up in like New Brighton, right? Like, this is a really complex environment to be kids in. This is a really complex environment to be a mother in. Because if he's got multiple wives and multiple concubines, then that Game of Thrones is going to get real messy real fast. Especially if you're the daughter of the former king and you now have children. Which line are they in? Are they in Saul's line or are they in David's line? This gets real complex really fast. There's a part of me that looks on that verse with, although I can't imagine the tragedy if you wanted to have children to be someone who never had them, but could we entertain the idea that maybe this was a relief? Not only because she didn't want to be intimate with David anymore because that would just be rape, but maybe she didn't want to bring children into the world, into that environment where she would know that they're only going to be set up to have this impossible life. And this, I feel like, is where you get to the difference between endured and overcame. Mm. Like, she didn't just endure her life. She overcame the yeah. things that were hard. Like, there's something very, um, like, empowering her to have the ability to have experienced love, to know love, to, like, to even be able to call out David, like, come what may, I'm calling you out because that's, your behavior is awful. Like, all those feel like this is a woman who, like, overcame and knew whether the people in her life understood her value, she understood it. She understood what she had to offer and what her voice could be. Hmm. And I... What's funny is I actually then see more of the who is like God name in this moment mm -hmm. because because she what if we read what she's doing as the words of a prophet like Micah like the who is like God is the name of a prophet and when she says how glorious was the king of Israel today the word for glory there is kavod which is a word for glory that's only meant to be used for God it's about the heaviness and the weightiness of God's presence that nobody on earth can match. And what if she is trying to help him see you are not God, who is like God, only God. God is the only one who should have the weight that you had in this parade today. See it now. Change your trajectory. What if she was meant to be the prophet to rescue him from his trajectory, which, by the way, only a few chapters from now goes is when he sees Bathsheba bathing and takes her. Right. That's. He's on that trajectory. She sees it. She says, you are holding glory that belongs to God. 
and and we always credit Nathan with telling that like cute little parable about the farmer that steals the sheep, which is like great. I love that. That's the way we sometimes have to speak truth to power is by doing a little end around and telling a story. But there's a part of me that's like, okay, if this came before that, then maybe that's in the back of his mind somewhere. This, I think too highly of myself and I'm even, I'm even willing to hurt people. And so when he actually does humble himself after the Bathsheba incident, um, I mean, can we just call it what it is? Like the Bathsheba crime, like um, that he is, he does recognize it, not simply because Nathan points it out or simply because he gets a really great parable about it, but because he's already been called out for this. And, and now the voice of McCall's in his head too. Well, let's maybe close it there with the idea of McCall holding both these names of in a complicated Game of Thrones, she prevailed and was strong in the face of it, and she was perhaps even prophetic in the face of it. And how can we see her and work to see her story in the scriptures, not just the story of David? This has been a 40 Orchards podcast. At 40 Orchards, our mission is to create circles for all people to wrestle through biblical text so that together we can expand each other's experience of what is sacred, whole, and good. We search through the lens of sacred possibility, assuming there is more to be discovered, questioned, and applied as we listen for how God is still speaking. You can learn more about 40 Orchards and sign up for a study by going to 40orchards.org. Our opening music is by Less FM. Our closing music is by NCR Music Vibes. Additional music is by 3Music. Any references to books or other sources can be found in the show notes of this episode. Thank you for searching the sacred.